Okay, uh, hello everyone and Shuatov. I, I love getting to say that uh, <laughs> before this class, uh, you know, kind of putting us uh, in relation to Shabbat as we go into uh, learning uh, some Sugya uh, from Masechet uh, Shabbat. Um, thank you so much. Uh, you know, uh, Rabbi Zuhir for your previous two classes. Um, uh, of course, this is the last of the three. Um, which is, uh, you know, too bad, but uh, tons of uh, other classes uh, coming up. Again, you know, uh, next week, Sunday, there will also uh, be a class with uh, Miss Sarah Zager. Um, I'll be here for that. See you then. Um, but yeah, uh, so uh, without any further ado, uh, thank you, Rabbi Zakir. All right. Thank you very much, Maxine. And um, this week's topic, technically, it will relate to Shabbat topics, but it's technically not in Tractate Shabbat, as we'll see. It's in Tractate Sanhedrin, but uh, still has still uh, touches on the resting theology, as we've been discussing. So I think we're we're still in the clear. So you know, our first the last two weeks, just to quickly review, we looked at two different sugyot, uh, two different sugyas in Klal Gadol, the seventh parak of Shabbat, seventh chapter of Tractate Shabbat. And um, uh, one about what happens if you forget when Shabbos is and different scenarios of that and, and sort of how we think about that and what that tells us about how Shabbos fits in with the rest of the week. Last week, we, uh, we saw the question uh, of Mahalich Bamidbar, if someone's stuck in the middle of nowhere in a deserted area, doesn't know when Shabbos is, what do you do? And touched on questions of is Shabbos subjective or objective, meaning is there like a day of the week that is Shabbos or is it really about when you experience Shabbos as being, usually those two overlap, but uh, in that interesting scenario in the desert, maybe not, and that ties into time zones and all sorts of other interesting things. Today, we're going to talk. Uh, we're going to talk less about the awareness of the person when Shabbos is, and more about the question of who keeps Shabbos. Uh, and uh, I think, uh, and really, the exclusivity of of Shabbos, uh, as we'll see from our topic on uh, the question of a Gentile observing Shabbos. So. Uh, that's that's our plan for today, and as we'll see, there's a few different there'll be a few different explanations of uh, the reason why there's uh, there's this distinction. You know that uh, that there's a particularly Shabbos among other uh, mitzvos. Um, you know are are not really supposed to be observed by Gentiles. So we'll get into why that is, why Shabbos is different than other mitzvos, and what that tells us about Shabbos and uh, our resting theology. So um, we're going to jump in now to the handout, share the screen. Hopefully everyone can see that. And, um, you know, as, as per usual, everyone's invited to uh, be on camera if they're so willing, helps, helps have uh, some sort of connection here um, uh, between, between us as we're learning together online, if you can. All right, so, uh, so this is in the Gemara in Sanhedrin. The Gemara in Sanhedrin has a whole section, a few different dopping where it talks about the Sheva Mitzvot B'nei Noach, the seven Noachide laws, seven laws that non-Jews uh, are expected to keep. Um, this is not on that list, um, as we'll see, but it is related because some additional laws that are not part of that sort of core um, uh, of those seven are also, you know, on the, you know tangentially related and are discussed as well. And um, so we're going to talk about this idea of, of a Nachri Sheshavas or a Goy Sheshavas, a Gentile who kept Shabbos. Um, just before we before we get into it, just a, a disclaimer that this is talking about a scenario of 
let's say the standard scenario of a you know a, a gentile who's not on a conversion track or something like that um you know if uh, in a case of, of a gentile who is on a conversion track that may be different in a variety of ways and uh i guess uh you know if it comes up uh that, that's uh, that's something to discuss with uh the sponsoring rabbi um but uh, just to put that out there we're not talking about that scenario we're talking about sort of your standard uh you know your standard case i don't know how standard this is but your theoretical the theoretical uh, standard case. So let's read the Gemara now. Of the Amr Lakish says, Nachri Shashavas Chayev Misa. Very strong, uh, uh, strong statement that a, a Gentile, and this is the text in the in the Vilna Shas, in the printed Gemara, but uh, the in all the manuscripts we have not Nachri, but Goy. Goy meaning Gentile. At some point in the uh, in the medieval and early modern period, the term Goy was seen as, uh, you know, sort of a negative term, a derogatory term. So it was often censored out. Um, often replaced by the word nachri. So here's an example of that. But the original word is goy. That's why if you look at all the Rishonim, they quote, it's talk about, they talk about uh, goy shashavas. That's why the sugi is generally known as that. But, um, you know, in, in our printed Gemara, the word nachri got in. But in any event, a Gentile who keeps Shabbos, chayv misa, is uh, deserving of the death penalty. It sounds very strong. Of course, uh, as probably everyone knows, death penalty in general isn't administered. And as we'll see later, uh, there's actually a difference between this ruling and other rulings in general uh, that where we say chayef misa uh, in the sense that even according to to many rishonim as we'll see even in the time of when there was death when death penalty was administered uh, or could have been administered uh, it wouldn't actually be administered here it's more of a theoretical chayef misa that you know sort of it's a sin deserving of misa rather than that 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 punishment would actually be meted out but we'll get to that in a bit in any event so there's this prohibition to keep shabbos what's the proof text the verse says, day and night, they shouldn't stop, right? Yishbosu, note the root there, Shabbos, right? To stop, to rest. Day and night, they shouldn't rest. Now, as we'll see in a minute, this Pusik is not really talking about people, um, but uh, it's understood to extend to that. We'll see that in a minute. So you have your verse, and we've excluded, we've prohibited Gentiles from keeping Shabbos. So uh, that's point number that's point number one to prohibit it, right? Lo yishposu, it's prohibited for a Gentile to rest and therefore to keep Shabbos. And the Amar Mar and uh, Mister, someone said earlier, earlier in the Gemara, we said Azhar Their warning is their death. Meaning, um, you know, in general, for let's say for Jews, there's all sorts of prohibitions in the Torah. There's 365 prohibitions, and you need to specify what the punishment is in each case. Some sins are punishable by death. Some sins are punishable by caris, excision. Some are punishable by malchos, lashes. Some, uh, none of the above. Every case, you need to spell it out. It doesn't, there's no, I mean, the default is, let's say, malchos, but um, uh, you need to spell out what the, um, well, even that's not so clear. You need to spell what the punishment is in each case. So uh, that's for Jews. For Gentiles, there's a much more limited set of prohibitions, right? The seven Noachite laws, six of which are standard prohibitions and maybe a couple more like this one, the rule is the prohibition itself already determines the punishment, which is the death penalty, meaning all prohibitions entail the death penalty regarding Gentiles. And one of the ways of understanding this is um, it's sort of a, it's a more streamlined system, right? Instead of 613 commandments, there's only seven. Instead of having a whole variety of modes of punishment for violations, there's one standard punishment, Misa, the death penalty. So it is harsher. But, it, you know, it's sort of, uh, it's a streamlined system. It's at least one way of understanding it. So you put these two things together. 
The verse says, Lo yishbosu, not to rest, not to take Shabbos. And if it's prohibited, what level of prohibition is it? It's, it must be a death penalty because of these two rules. So that's Reish Lakish's reasoning. So far, so good. There's the prohibition. Prohibition, the proof text, the punishment. Okay. Amar Ravina. Ravina adds on a point. He says, Afilu sheni b'Shabbos, even on a Monday. Right? Because we're not just talking about keeping Shabbos on Saturday, the, the day uh, that Jews keep Shabbos. We're even talking about a Gentile keeping Shabbos on a Monday. Right, sort of a random day of the week, the prohibition still exists. We'll see this will tie into some of the reasons given. Presumably, it's not about the day of Shabbos per se. It's about the very fact that you're not working. That, that somehow is problematic. And we'll see that in a minute. And then the Gemara challenges this. It says, wait a second. But we know there's a list of seven Noahide laws. This is not on the list. Right? The Gemara discussed all seven of them earlier. This is not on the list. So, if this is actually prohibited, then it should be on the list of the seven Noachite laws, but it's not. So there's, there seems to be a problem here. The Gemara responds, no, ki kachashiv shevel tase, kumase lo kachashiv. The seven Noachite laws, all of them are passive in the sense that they're prohibitions, things you shouldn't do. So Eber Menachai, don't eat a limb of an animal. Birchaz Hashem, don't curse God. Gezel, don't steal. Avodazara, don't uh, don't uh, worship idols. Uh, Gilei Arayos, don't commit uh, sexual prohibitions. Uh, and uh, what am I missing? There's dinim, which is a bit more complicated. We'll talk about it in a minute, but to have a court system, which is negative. Um, murder, that's a big one. Shouldn't forget that, right? That's a prohibition. All these things are prohibitions, things you shouldn't do. So those are those all get on the list. But this isn't something you shouldn't do, if you think about it. It's really something you have to do, meaning you shouldn't not work. Well, that the way of saying that in normal English is you must work. You can't take a day off, meaning you have to, every day, you must work. It's an active uh, a charge. It's not, it's not telling you to be passive, not to do something. It's telling you to be active. And kumase lo kachashiv, the list of the seven Nochad laws is only, uh, only laws that are, that are asking you not to do something, to refrain, not that are asking you to act, to work. So that's why it's not on the list. But really, you know, it's not, it's just a, that's just like a, a, a counting convention. Right? That's just what happens to be the what we put on the list is this and not that. But it, it's an equal, really, there's, you know, there's really eight mitzvahs b'nei noach, and this is number eight. It's just not on the list for, on a technicality. Okay, now, just one problem with this rule. Valdinim kum asehu. Wait a second. Dinim, the positive commandment to set up a legal system that applies to Gentiles, that's, that's, a, that's, that would seemingly be a positive thing, something you're expected to do, not to refrain from doing. So why, uh, why is it on the list? Why is dinim setting up a court system on the list of seven if it's passive? And the kachashiv, right? And it's counted. So the answer is kumase vishevel tasenenu. No, actually, dinim, it's, there's two sides to it. It's both a commandment to set up a legal system and the prohibition not to allow for uh, infractions to happen, not to allow for immorality to set in, which is what happens if you don't set up a legal system. So, uh, so fine, we, we solve the counting convention problem. And what are we left with? This prohibition of Misa, Gentile keeps Shabbos. It's punishable by death of all things, and based on this Pasuk of Yom Bosu. The continuation of the Gemara is really a whole interesting topic in its own right. We'll just look at a, a snippet of it, and uh, it'll be interesting and maybe a little bit relevant in a minute. The Amr Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan said, notice Rabbi Yochanan is the, uh, the uh, Talmud Chaver, or the, the other way around. Rishlak is the Talmud Chaver, Rabbi Yochanan, they're sort of Chavrusas, uh, they learned together, uh, they had some fierce debates together, they're you know, uh, frenemies in the best sense of the word, and uh, so Rabbi Yochanan adds on 
Another a sort of parallel rule that also a Gentile who studies Torah is uh, deserving of, of uh, the death penalty. Again, as the Ramam says, it's not implemented. And again, with the same uh, caveat that, uh, you know, this is, uh, uh, there's many exceptions to this rule and uh, minimally applies nowadays, but at least the theory of it, he says, Shenemar, Torah Tzivalanu Moshe, Morasha, Kilas Yaakov, as the song goes and the Pasuk, Lanu Morasha Velolahem. Right, the Pasuk says, Torah Tzivalanu Moshe, Moses commanded us the Torah, obviously speaking for God, right? So God commands Torah through Moses, through Moshe, Morasha, Kilas Yaakov. It's a Morasha, it's a heritage. Lanu Morasha Velolahem, right? You can't, it's our heritage, it's not their heritage. And, uh, you know, this, uh, to, to, I'm not going to wade into any political issues, but I'll just point out that this basically is an argument um, saying that cultural appropriation is, at least sometimes, inappropriate, right? This is our heritage. This is a Jewish heritage, the Torah, and it's meant to be studied by Jews. It's not meant to be studied by others. You can, of course, join the Jewish people. There's a process of conversion, but uh, to be an outsider and to study Torah is uh, is a form of cultural appropriation that Rabbi Yochanan says uh, is therefore prohibited. Again, not going to get into the politics of it, of course, um, and uh, there are many exceptions to this, as I said, but at least that seems to be the basic structure of the argument. And then it raises a similar question, why is it not on the list? And there's another, an explanation how it really is a subset of other items on the list. Um, maybe it's a form of stealing, which really fits well with the idea of appropriation, right? Appropriation sort of means to take something that's not yours, um, or maybe it's, uh, you know, if we understand Mo Russia to be like Mo Russia, like the Jewish people is somehow betrothed to God. So maybe it's the equivalent of sexual impropriety, so to speak, to uh, stand in for Israel in that relationship with God. However, you understand those details. The point is, it's about, at least for the Torah issue, the prohibition of studying Torah, the Gentile studying Torah seems to be that it's supposed to be special between the Jewish people and uh, and God and and uh, no interlopers and no appropriation of this important relationship between the Jews and God. So that's the basic Gemara that we're starting with. Um, and as we'll see, there's a couple different directions we can take this. I intentionally didn't specify which direction to take some of these arguments in the Gemara, especially the first half, because we'll see it's a little complex. Before we get there, let's take a look at some psukim, at some of the biblical source texts that are being used here and that are not being used here. Uh, just to notice some of the uh, interesting complications here. So first of all, remember the, the proof text that we saw, Yom Valayla Lo Yishbosu, right? Day and night, they shouldn't stop. Therefore, Gentiles have to always be working. They can't take a day off of work. They have to work day and night, every day, every night. You can't take a day off. That's prohibited. Lo Yishbosu, no Shabbos, no rest. So the original source for this has, it seems to be very far removed from our context. So let's take a look here. This is after the, the Mabel, the deluge, the flood, and Vayiv and Noach Mizbeach Hashem. Noach builds an altar, and he brings all these sacrifices. He brings a sacrifice to God. God smells the offering. This is the only place in the, in the Torah where it says that God smells a sacrificial offering actively. God says to God, I won't ever again curse the land because of humanity. The human nature is evil from its youth, right? People are, have this evil aspect to them. 
itself an interesting line. I will never again uh, strike all living things as I did. I won't wipe out the earth like I did in the Mabul. Okay, so far that's right, makes sense. And this is still God speaking. Uh, still continuing for as long as the earth exists. Zera vikatsir vikor vachom. Zera sort of planting and harvesting and cold and hot. Vikayitz vichoref. And and winter and summer or something like that. Hot season and cold season. Vyom velayla. And day and night. Lo yishbosu. Will not stop. Now the way this is typically understood, and you look at most of the commentaries there and they'll say this. It's saying, well, during the Mabo, during the flood, it was sort of a reset on like, Earth science, right? You know, they had the Earth sciences textbook. They had to rewrite it. It wasn't it wasn't relevant anymore because usually, um, like it's there's a rainy season and a dry season and it's sunny and it's it's cold and hot. And here it just rained straight for a whole period of time and then the whole wor- world was just really wet. Like it was it, it messed up everything. Um, you know, that's that's what we call um, uh, you know a climate change. I think so. That's what was going on during the Mabul, and uh, and God saying. Part of this reset, I won't destroy you. Okay, that's helpful. That's good. And we're going to go back to normal Earth biology, right? Normal, you know, the world's going to work normally again. There's going to be seasons. There's going to be cold and hot. There's going to be day and night. Because right? it wasn't really, day, if it's always raining, it's always dark. There's no functional day. Um, so now, now, it won't stop. Just like, you know, the last year has been sort of, you know, the, the Earth took off, took off a year from normal functioning. Now we'll be back to normal. That's shot. That's the simple meaning here. But obviously the way Arkhamara takes it, Yom Bosu doesn't mean that the earth will go back to normal because what does that have to do with what we're talking about? It takes it to mean Yom Bosu, not that day and night won't stop, but that people won't stop for day and night. And the way we'll see this a bit uh, inside later, but the way it's understood is, at least one way it's understood is it's a Kavachomer. It's right. Like if the expectation is, let's say Earth's nature is to have day and night and warm season and cold season and all that, the four seasons. Um, and that's that's what Earth is supposed to do. And that's why it better do it. God saying, you know, listen to me, uh, follow the rules, Earth. So it's a Kavachomer. All the more so humans uh, should have to listen to God. And if part of human nature is to work, as we know from elsewhere, Adam Amal Yulad, uh, you know, a person is made for toil. And it's sort of human nature is to work. Um, and uh, so it's human nature to work. You should also have to follow the laws of nature. So it doesn't spell out and people also have to work, but it's implicit just like nature works and has to work, is supposed to work following God. So too, people are supposed to work as well. So that's fleshing out what we're doing with our proof text here, which is by no means obvious, but fine. But that's what the Gemara is doing. It's a bit of a stretch, but you know, you often have these sorts of stretches, these midrashic readings uh, and uh, this is a case of it. So much for this. Let's uh, let's and, and of course, uh, always happy to take uh, to take questions if people have them. Um, if not, we'll move to the next biblical source, the next set of psukim that are a little more troubling or a little more complicated in light of of uh, of what we're reading here. So this is uh, Yeshayahu Perak Vav, Isaiah fifty six which is, um, uh, yeah, um, okay, let's, we'll pause because I see uh, Nathan posted a question. Just going back to the first Gemara, don't we have the aspect of don't keep Shabbat as Sheva Altase of Nachri Shabbat, just like don't per- permit infractions? So um, it's a good question. 
meaning the right we define dinim, the idea of setting up a legal system as both a positive and a negative command. Whereas Shabbos, even though it's formulated as lo yishbosu, don't stop, is understood as a positive thing because right, not stopping is the equivalent of saying go, of do something. But why don't we say it sort of has both sides? So I think the answer to that would be um, would be that we only have one positive, we only have one verse. So you sort of have to choose. Is it a positive? Is it an active or a passive verse? And since in practice, it means you have to work. Um, so we take it that way. It's not, it's not clear that we're always fully consistent. I think, uh, I think um, um, what's his name? I'm forgetting now. Someone has an article, has an article, Aaron Shemesh has an article where he talks about the definition of ase and lotase and how different layers of rabbinic literature have different ways of defining it. So it's a complex question. Um, and you can look there for further analysis. I don't know if he talks about this passage or not, but it'll help contextualize it. But yeah, it's a little, it's a little uh, fuzzy how you go with that. Um, yeah, it's literally don't rest and it's taken to me, but we take the practical meaning, not the, not the way it's formulated, don't rest, but practically what that means, which is act. Yeah, it's not fully smooth, but that's, that's that. Okay, I see Shana put a question in the chat and then we'll take Jake's question. Um, back in the first, in the first Gemara, what happens with converts? So uh, you, I don't know if you were here when I mentioned this, Shoshana, but um, basically, uh, you know, in practice, the way this Gemara is applied, um, it's, uh, it, it's uh, again, everyone has, should, anyone in, a, in the situation should have a, con a conversation with the relevant uh, rabbinic parties, but, uh, but generally, um, generally uh, it's, it's waived to, uh, at least to a, to a large degree, is waived in the case of someone uh, along a conversion track. Um, certainly studying Torah is, is uh, that's you know even clearer that that you have to teach someone Torah in order for them to convert because they have to know what they're accepting at least to some degree. Um, so that certainly is waived. This one Shabbat, there's a couple of different views on it, but um, you know often well, one view. Basically, I'll just I'll, I'll spell this out because because it was asked. There's two basic views. One is that um, you can't fully keep Shabbat, but you know you do sort of one technical violation of Shabbat until the point of conversion, and then but basically you keep Shabbat other than this one thing. As sort of training, and then after the conversion, um, you can uh, you to keep Shabbat fully. Obviously, uh, the other view is that you know that's that's just a little too much to expect of someone to you know they're like going through the whole Shabbat keeping process and to break something. So some 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 views allow uh, fully keeping Shabbat if one's on a conversion track. Um, and again, that's a conversation between the prospective convert and their uh, you know and their uh, rabbinic uh, sponsor or or whatnot. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, it's, it's, you know, there's ways of sorting that out in that context. We're, we're going to focus on sort of the classical case, which again, is probably not so common, but at least in theory, the classical case of a Gentile with no intent of conversion, who just wants to keep Shabbos in one form or others. Right. And other ways where I keep it Saturday morning, but not Friday night, that would be another way of partially keeping Shabbat. Um, uh, sure. Shoshana. Um, okay. And now Jake has a hand up. Jake, you're on mute. Just a um, sort of syntax thing for the question of assay or lo And Maybe it's too cutie, but is the Gemara possibly saying like lo yishbosu, they shouldn't do Shabbos like as a verb? Great, yeah. So it might be that. Um, and to some extent that'll depend on what exactly the Gemara is prohibiting. So hold that thought, right? Are we saying lo yishbosu means don't stop? Um, you know, and always work, or does it mean lo yishbosu, don't keep Shabbos? One weakness of saying it means don't keep Shabbos is how do you read that in context with the rest of the Pasuk? It's a little harder to make it work, but if, right, if you just say it's just a midrashic flourish and you're yeah. focusing on lo yishbosu, yeah, definitely 
that could very well be part of it. This actually ties in a little bit to Nathan's question they just put in the chat. Isn't that verse talking to all of humankind? So presumably what you would say is, sure, it's talking to all of humankind. You can't just take off a day unless uh, you're commanded by God to keep Shabbos as a Jew, and then you can, right? So it's like an exception that's, you know, pretty clearly if, you know, God says, work every day, and then he says, well, this one day, take off, it's pretty clear that that supersedes the previous prohibition, right? So I think that would be, that would be the, the way you'd work that out for, for why Jews are allowed to not work on, on Shabbos. Um, any other questions on what we've done so far? Okay, so let's jump in now to Sukkim from Yeshayahu. This uh, comes up in the liturgy. This is read as the Haftarah on fast days, so stay tuned. Um, but um, yeah, Yeshayahu is, is talking. This is uh, right. This is the end of the Yeshayahu, part of the Nechama, the consolation, and the thinking about redemption. And so here's a bit of like a positive. You know, it's not the it's not the uh, more lacrimose Yeshayahu at the beginning. This is more of a positive angle. Uh, that we find towards the end of the state Pharisee, it says, Kol Hashem, shimru uh, keep uh, justice and righteousness, redemption is coming soon. Praiseworthy is a person who does this. Right? Keep Shabbos, it's great. Shabbos is great. Okay, so far nothing controversial, nothing complicated. But then, those Gentiles who are drawn to Hashem don't say, God has separated me from his nation. And the sorry is someone who's, uh, you know, castrated or can't reproduce. Shouldn't say, I'm, you know, I'm dry wood. I can't reproduce. I'm, I'm separate. I'm outside of the Jewish people. Don't say that. God says to those, sorry, to those who are uh, infertile, but keep Shabbos and hold on to the covenant, Okay, you know, even though you can't reproduce, you'll have continuity. Yad uh, Vashem, right, just like Yad Vashem, the institution, it's, it's a way of carrying on the memory of people who no longer are living and don't have children necessarily to carry on their living. So you, God will give these people for keeping the Torah, will give them a Yad Vashem, uh, right, literally a hand and a name. But it's a way of carrying on, like a memorial, carrying on their memory. They won't, they won't, uh, they won't die because their name will be carried on forever. By keeping the Torah, God will keep give them that name. And that's a way of responding to the concern that, you know, someone won't have children. They won't have people commemorating them in the future. No, by dint of keeping the Torah, God will commemorate you uh, automatically. That's number one, less relevant to us. But then, the Gentiles, who are drawn to God, to serve God, and to love God's name, to be servants of God. Okay, so good stuff for them. All of those who keep Shabbos, not to desecrate it, and hold on to my covenant, right? And these are Gentiles, not Jews, Gentiles who keep Shabbos. So if you ask the Gemara, okay, Gentiles who keep Shabbos, what happens to them? Bad, very bad, right? But that's not what it says here. Here it says, I'll bring it to my holy, holy mountain, I'll make them happy in my house of prayer. All their offerings will be accepted, uh, happily accepted on my altar. My house is a house of prayer for all nations. So not only can these Gentiles keep Shabbos and keep the covenant, that's a good thing, but they're also uh, bringing sacrifices. So sounds like this is a pro-Gentiles keeping Shabbos view. It's what it sounds like. You take a straightforward reading. Clearly, that's not how Chazal take it, which is very interesting. It's also worth noting um, 
Uh, okay, so Ozzy says, must be talking about converts. That's one solution. I, I think on a shot level, it's not so clear, but, but presumably that's how Chazal would understand it. Um, historically speaking, in the second temple period, right, following this restoration that Yeshayah was talking about, when people start uh, coming back to, to Yerushalayim, rebuilding the base of Mikdash, etc. So during the second temple period, there actually is a group that's known as the God-fearers. They're, and they're you know, not Jews by birth. They're sort of Greek-speaking uh, people who see Judaism as a good religion that's worth taking seriously. And uh, you might say that they were trying to live up to what's, uh, what's uh, discussed here in these segments. So it's not just a theoretical idea of Gentiles keeping Shabbos and bringing sacrifices. There actually were groups in, in Bayashani, in the Second Temple period, who did this. And it's interesting to see at least the Pshat in Yeshayahu, which again, may not be how we, uh, we take that law in practice, but at least the Pshat here seems to be open to that idea, whereas our Gemara seems to be opposed to it. So that's definitely uh, worth, uh, worth thinking about, definitely interesting, and makes the Gemara, our Gemara a little more uh, of a chiddush, a little more of a novel point, of a, of a surprising point. And good. So now we need to explain, right? We've we've set everything up. We saw, we read our Gemara. We noted um, how it reads, how it reads the relevant verse, and we noted uh, how that seems to diverge from uh, from uh, from what we see in Yeshayahu and Isaiah. But now we need to figure out what's the what's the basis of this prohibition, right? We saw this verse. Day and night don't stop, and you know how you understand that. Um, but you know, really, what's the logic behind it? What's the argument behind it? So we'll start by looking at a couple of midrashim that uh, are likely earlier than our Gemara, but may give some of the back background for what our Gemara might or might not mean. And it, uh, uh, one of them stems from this pasuk. This is from Kiddush. Um, you might know it. Right, the Israelites keep the Sabbath. To do or to perform. The Sabbath for their generations, a an eternal covenant. Between me, God, and between the Israelites, it is a an eternal sign. It's a sign that God created the the heavens and earth in seven days, in six days rather, and on the seventh day, God rested uh, and took a break. So, right by by humans taking a break on the seventh day, just like God did, we commemorate that. We discussed this. Uh, the last couple of weeks. Um, so notice there's several terms here that may sound sort of exclusive. Number one, bris, covenant. Right? God makes a covenant with B'nai Israel, with the Israelites, not with the other nations. Although in the source we just saw in Yeshayahu, it does talk about Gentiles holding on to the covenant. So that's a bit of a monkey wrench, but at least in general, when we think about covenant, covenant is exclusive. It's something special for the Jewish people, number one. Number two, this language of B'nai, Uvein B'nai Israel, between me and the Jewish people, that sounds like a special relationship. It's a one-to-one -one thing, and it's B'nai Israel and not others. Again, they can join B'nai Israel and then be part of it, but if you're not part of B'nai Israel, you're not part of this uh, special Shabbos thing, and Shabbos is Ozi Le'olam, right? It's, a, it's an eternal sign. It's a sign, uh, a sign of that special relationship between God and the Jewish people. So uh, one, one medrash, this is Michal Tzadar Shmal, a very important, one of the uh, sort of uh, early Tanaitic, Halachic, important midrashim, uh, all midrashim are important, but some are sort of more core uh, to rabbinic literature, and it gives a whole set of interpretations of these psukim, but we'll focus on just the underlying part here. It says, Between me and the Israelites, it's a sign, but not between me and the nations of the world. They're excluded, right? And, uh, and not just that, 
presumably you could read this as saying not just that the rest of the nations don't have Shabbos because like every other mitzvah in the Torah, it doesn't specify this mitzvah is only for Jews, not for non-Jews, right? That's sort of, that's obvious. Unless you specify it is for non-Jews, you'd assume it's only for Jews. The whole Torah is only for Jews. So why are we spelling this out? Presumably it's that it's specifically not meant for non-Jews. Gentiles should not keep Shabbos. Um, that's the implication. Um, so, uh, right, so that's that seems to be a straightforward explanation for this, right? There's some special relationship between God and the Jewish people. And, uh, and for a non-Jew, again, if you're joining the Jewish people, it's a different story. But for a non-Jew to say, look, I'm not Jewish, but I can keep Shabbos just as much as any Jew, it doesn't work like that. That's actually counterproductive. You can call it, uh, you could call it uh, a form of cultural appropriation, or we'll see in a minute, uh, uh, the next Medrash will give a nice metaphor for how this works, and you have no, you have no uh, basis for, for intervening there. I see Nathan asks the question, right? If the logic here is to commemorate that God created the earth in six days and rested on the seventh day, that's a universal point, right? The, the earth belongs to all people, um, right? God created the earth for all people. Um, that's true. And yet, what I think this Pasuk is saying, certainly that's what the Medrash is interpreting the Pasuk is saying, is that the commemoration of God's creation of the world, which the creation was universal, but the commemoration of that creation is particularistic. That's just for Jews. Only Jews have the special uh, mission of, uh, of commemorating God's creation, and that's a message for the whole world to see, but only for Jews to perform, right? It's not, it's not obvious. Um, and, you know, if we, if we had another class in the series, we might talk about different universalistic and particularistic aspects of Shabbos, um, which we can talk about, uh, you know, uh, I guess next time we do something on, on this, there are different aspects. Uh, is Shabbos about creation of the world? Is Shabbos about being freed from Egypt? That seems to be more particularistic, although some of the messages there are very broad-based messages as well. But what comes out of this medrash is um, God created the world. God rested on the seventh day. Jews commemorate that, and that's not meant for non-Jews. It's only meant for uh, Jews, and for a non-Jew to take that on, it's, it's appropriation. You might say it's similar to if a non-Jew studies Torah, because you know Torah is meant for the Jewish people and not for others. This is a, it might be seen as a parallel idea. Shabbos is meant for the Jewish people and not for uh, not for others. Um, okay, so that is uh, that is. I'll just yeah, um, and just to, to reiterate, you know, this this approach happens to be particularistic regarding Shabbos. There are certainly many other messages in Chazal about Shabbos and about other things that have a universalistic uh, aspect to them. And, uh, you know, just we always should be aware of when one message or the other is being, uh, is being focused on, but both definitely play an important role in Judaism. Let's, let's see another medrash. This is in Dvarim Rabbah, uh, Deuteronomy Rabbah. Dvarim Rabbah is usually understood to have been uh, finished and compiled at a later date, but often it includes materials that are earlier. And let's, uh, we'll see, we'll see how we go with this. But uh, at least there's a good argument for assuming that this is an earlier text that just gets included in Dvarim Rabbah at a later date, but may be very well uh, Tanaitic as well. Certainly it refers to named, uh, named Tanai. Uh, and we'll see this will flesh out that idea a little bit further. So it says, the Amar of Yossi Barchanina, Ove Kochavim Sheshamar Sashabas, right, a, a Gentile or here a, a, an idolater, right, a worshiper of stars who keeps Shabbos, Ad Shalo Kibel Alav Es Hamila, before accepting upon himself circumcision. Okay, so this, again, this is not authoritative, this is not the Gemara, but uh, this sounds like we're talking about someone who, you know, who hasn't been circumcised, but maybe is planning on it, right? Maybe along 
a, a long A conversion path, possibly, um, uh, but certainly they haven't been circumcised. Chayav Misa, that same line of uh, liable for, uh, for death. The Lama, why? Why is he liable? Shlonitztavu allow. They weren't commanded. So if you're not commanded and you do it, then you get, then it, you shouldn't do it. Okay, that doesn't fully explain this. Umara Isa Lomar, Why would you say that a Gentile who keeps Shabbos gets the death penalty? Like, what's the what's so bad about it? What's the issue here? So Amr Khibar Abba Yochran, he says, uh Rabbi says the name Rabbi Yochanan. And uh yeah, and notice Rabbi Yochanan came up in our Gemara as the explaining as saying that one shouldn't, a Gentile shouldn't study Torah. Now we're going to use Rabbi Yochanan also to explain the Shabbos thing. So here's this story he tells. Like the way things work normally in the world, Melech Umatrona, a king and a matron, or you know, let's say the king's consort or wife, maybe, they're sitting having a conversation. So if someone like, right, the king is having dinner with his consort. And uh, you sort of barge in, and you're like, hey, I want to join. Is that okay, king? Um, right, and you just join in. So, yeah, of course, you're going to get the Misa. You're going to get the death penalty for that. How dare you barge into a private conversation between a king and his consort? Um, right, it's just inappropriate. He's having this private dinner. You have no right to, to join in. Same thing for this Shabbos. It's uh, who? Right, Shabbos is this special thing it's like a special dinner so to speak maybe uh you know dinner and then a lunch between israel and the jewish people it's this special time that uh Klai yisrael and hashem have together shenemar as we saw the same verse Benyam israel between me and between the jewish people it's this special it doesn't spell out it doesn't continue but the nation it's an oh it's a special sign it's um uh it, it's uh you know it's your special uh, time together for the jewish people and god if you barge in that's not appropriate. Any Gentile or idolater here who comes in and interlopes, right, inserts himself between God and the Jewish people, until he accepts upon himself circumcision, you get the death penalty for that. Um, now, the context, you're not going to read the rest inside, but it's an interesting context. Um, it's where Moshe seems to be uh, God says to Moses, God says to Moshe, don't worry, I'm going to give you these, you know, I'm going to let you capture uh, all of the land of Israel and uh, drive the people out. And Moshe, it sounds like Moshe is worried about something. What's Moshe worried about? And the answer is Moshe is worried that the Gentiles might keep these extra mitzvot and they might get credit and they might even get extra credit because they don't have to keep Shabbos like, um, you know, like Jews have to keep Shabbos. The Gentiles are doing it of their own accord, maybe, and they'd get bonus points. And God says, no, no, you got it backwards. It's not, you don't get, a Gentile wouldn't get bonus points for keeping Shabbos optionally. It's actually bad for them to keep Shabbos. So don't worry, Moshe, it's going to work out and the Gentiles won't get uh, religious credit and you'll be able to conquer the land. So that's sort of a, a funny context there, um, but it engages with our issue uh, very directly. And again, focusing on this idea of Shabbos, the special relationship between God and the Jewish people, you have no right uh, to jump in. Now, um, Moshe Halbertal has argued that, and it's an interesting argument, I'm not sure it's absolutely convincing, but it's an interesting argument, that this is meant to target uh, the early period when there were Christians who were not Jewish, who were, you know, not, maybe not even ethnically Jewish, and they were, were Christians who were saying, well, we keep Shabbos too. Of course, some version of that exists uh, still today across Christianity, the idea of Sunday being the Sabbath, although 
Uh, very few Christians today don't do work on the Sabbath. Certainly not. Certainly not in the way that uh, Jews don't do work on the Sabbath. Um, but uh, right, but this idea of Sunday being a Sabbath might be what's targeted here. Um, and uh, especially if you date this source, you date this medrash to the 10 Edic period, to the first couple centuries CE, that was the time when there was this whole phenomenon of, uh, you know, of Jewish Christians or whatever you want to call them that were, you know, sort of participating in Judaism, but were be believed in, uh, you know, in Jesus. And maybe this is targeting them. And maybe that's why it emphasizes Oe Kochavim, the idolaters. Maybe that's assuming that's original to the text. That's focusing, that'll be focusing on, you know, some improper, not just that they're, you know, uh, genealogically Gentile instead of Jewish, but that they're actual idolaters because they're Christians. And it emphasizes Shamar and Shabbos to keep Shabbos, trying to keep a day of Shabbos. And maybe they would do it on Sunday or whatnot, but they have no right to keep this day of Shabbos before taking on circumcision. Because we know um, uh, Christians, you know, if you look in the New Testament, they're very critical of this idea of circumcision. So maybe you had someone, maybe you had a Christian, you probably had many, who didn't want to be circumcised, but did want to keep Shabbos. And this Medrash is saying, absolutely not. And that's totally rejected. So maybe we might be able to, you know, as Halbertal does, we might be able to say that this is specifically rejecting um, uh, a Christian, Christian uh, keeping of the Sabbath. Okay, so those are, the, those are the Midrashim, and they've really gone in one direction. It's about this exclusivity between God and the Jewish people. That's why Gentiles shouldn't interlope, shouldn't get in the way, shouldn't appropriate our special day, our Beinu Vebene Israel Osi Lo'olam, a special sign between God and the Jewish people, and it may have a Christian context. So that's one possible explanation of this prohibition. Um, now we'll jump back to the Gemara and take another look, look at some Rishonim, um, but if there's questions, happy to take those uh, now as well. Um, yeah. And Ozzy, your points are, are relevant for understanding the Ramah and Shema Mitzvos, but less relevant uh, for us for us right now, we'll see in a few minutes the Rambam on this topic. That'll be uh, the more relevant Rambam. Um, okay, so go back to our Gemara. And it's interesting to note a few differences between what we just saw and our Gemara. Number one, number one, we don't say it's an Ove Kochavim, we say it's a Nahri or a Goy, actually, in the original text, right? It's a Gentile rather than an idolater. The problem here seems to be about, about just the fact that someone's not Jewish rather than that they're a Christian or a, you know, they believe in the wrong religion. That's point number one. And number two, we don't say Sheshavar as Shabbos, who kept Shabbos. We say Sheshavas, right? we, this, this verb, who, uh, who, who, who rests, who stops. So is there a difference there? Maybe. And then maybe most strikingly, there's a different proof text. There's a different Xeris Akasuf, different verse to prove the point, right? It's not about Beinu Vebine Israel, a special relationship between God and the Jewish people. It's rather about Lo Yishposu, right? You can't. You know, you can't take off, just like the seasons always need to be working. The sun, the moon, whatever else causes the seasons to shift. Um, you know, all of that had the wind. All of that has to work, right? No days off since, since the marble, since the flood. You have to go back to the, you know, the Earth's regular working program. So same thing for humans. Humans have to work, too. Now, if you're Jewish, you have, you know, you not only can take off a day, you have to take off a day. But if, you, if you're not, if you don't have that excuse, you must work. So it sounds like, and we'll see Rashi says this very explicitly, it sounds like the issue here is not about interloping, being a, some, you know, interfering between the relation between God and, and the Jewish people, but it's, you can't take, you can't not work. You have to work every day. And that's why we emphasize, I feel ashamed of Shabbos. It's nothing to do with keeping, you know, the Jewish Shabbos and, and, and uh, appropriating the Jewish Shabbos. 
even a Monday, right? Mon like Jews have nothing special on Mondays. I mean, a little bit, but not, not really, nothing much going on on Mondays. Um, you want to make your thing into a Monday? Sure, Tuesday. That it, it, it's, it's the same problem of not working. You have to work. That's part of the expectation. So Rashi spells this approach out explicitly. Um, Rashi says, to a gentle who stops their work, Yom Shalim, for a whole day, Chayv Misa is liable for the death penalty. She never long Yom Lailo Shposu. Mikatarsu Lo Yishposu Mimalacha to Abne Adam Namikai. This idea of not stopping also applies to people. The Lo Tema Lo Yishposu Ahach Sheshes Itim the Krad Kai. Don't say it's only talking about those six times or six you know natural phenomena in the verse. Klomar Lo Yibatlo Lo Yipasku Milios Pshita. Right, that's obvious that the, the seasons can't stop. The Pasuk comes to teach us that people also can't stop. You have to always be working. And then Rashi continues when Ravina spells out, even a Monday is prohibited. So Rashi says, What Ravina is saying is, Rishlakish's point isn't about an obligation or a perceived obligation of Shabbos, that like they're coming up with this holiday, you know, you can't, you have to not work this one day a week. It's not like they, you know, we're talking about a case where someone intends to rest like Jews do on Shabbos, right, which is the Jewish rest day. Oh, and that term was censored, but they stuck it back in, right, or Sundays that Gentiles rest. No, no, we're not talking about that scenario, right, where the, this person wants to take off on Saturdays or Sundays for religious reasons. No. You can't, no vacations, right? Um, so if, uh, you know, uh, the, the, according to this, this view, the, um, you know, the Gentiles vacation plan, you know, they sign up, they try to take vacation days, you know, the, the system would say, well, you know, it's against, against the Gemara and Sanhedrin. You can't take vacation days. You have to work every day, regardless of religious reasons or not, right? They just want to go, uh, they want to go on vacation, take off, right? Sleep in a hammock all day. You can't do that. Play Badlumi Malacha. It's a day that has nothing to do with rest. It's not a special rest day, not a Jewish one, not a Christian one, nothing else. Why Monday? Because Monday is the first day of the week that has no religious connection to it. It's not, it's not the Jews Saturday. It's not the Christian Sunday. It's a normal day. And you can't not work for a day. That's what the Pesach is teaching us. That's what the Gemara is telling us. We have that much to make up to We could have said Tuesday, Wednesday, any day would be the same. And, um, and yeah, so that's the way Rashi takes it. This is a totally different understanding. Um, a totally different understanding. You're not allowed to take off a day of work. You have to always be working. Um, and uh, and it's nothing to do with religious reasons or not. It's just, you know, the world is created for people to work and you have no right to take off a day. Again, unless you're Jewish and then you have Shabbos, you have a good excuse. Uh, uh, Nathan's asking an interesting question. What about Mondays? Um, right? What about taking off Mondays where, uh, you know, a Jew taking off a normal day? Um, presumably you would say something like, you know, the, the, uh, you'd have to say something like the Torah supersedes these, these set of prohibitions. Um, so, you know, we do have, the, there is a drasha, work for six days and do your work and then stop on the seventh day. And we say that, that one should work for six days. I think that would be the determining source rather than this source. I think that's generally interpreted in a looser way. Not that like six days you must work, absolutely must work, but rather, you know, it's like it's encouraged to work, but it's less of a, less of a hard obligation. So I think this would be a scenario where, where the, you know, the, there was sort of an update uh, for Jews, a patch uh, for, for Jews that uh, ends up slightly different. 
and you wouldn't this prohibition wouldn't uh, wouldn't apply per se even though the proof text as you're noting the proof text is really low yishposu that would seem to apply to the whole world and to all of nature and to jews but presumably that would be superseded okay ozzy asks an interesting question of how we would define this do we go by day or do we go right like you know uh, do we go like halachic time or night night and then day is the day or do we go by um you know secular time or whatever else where the morning start you know you start in the morning and then you go to the night it's an interesting question um and uh, it might depend on our question right if the point is appropriating shabbos maybe that's only if it's like a halachic day whereas if it's about just not working for a day maybe that maybe on that scenario the, the night would follow the day it's an interesting interesting suggestion um yeah so uh yeah you'd have to wonder what rashi would say in that case i could see it going either way potentially um, okay, so that's that's this other view. We have a second we have a second view. So is this prohibition about sort of uh, taking away, appropriating the Jewish day of rest, or is it just you have to always work? You have no right not to not to work for a day. And in the Rambam, we'll we'll see it's it'll look like one of these views, but it'll actually be subtly, uh, importantly different. So let's look at the Rambam here in Hilchos Melachim, where in the Rambam Hilchos Melachim has the Shevin Tzvi Noach. He talks about the Noachide laws in his Laws of Kings. Which is interesting because it's part of his sort of theory of Jewish sovereignty, right? If Jews are in control, they can set up a system where, uh, you know, uh, among other things, Gentiles follow the seven Noahide laws. That's why it's in Hilchos Melachim. And he says, Akum, and this should probably also be Goy or something like that. I didn't check the manuscripts, but almost certainly. Uh, so this is the, the second half of the Gemara. Gentile studies Torah is liable for the death penalty. They shouldn't study like Torah writ large, they should study the Torah pertaining to the seven Noachite laws, right? That's what applies to them. So they have what to focus on, there's what to study without getting into the rest of the Torah. The Chain, similarly, similarly, a Gentile who rests even on a weekday, if he makes it for himself like Shabbos, if he sets up a day, he says, Mondays is my religious holiday. Mondays, that's, you know, uh, we worship the moon on Mondays or whatever. That's actually the original etymology of Monday. Um, we worship the moon on Monday. We don't work. So you get the death penalty for that. Well, obviously, if he sets up a holiday, right, it doesn't need to be a day of the week. It can also be like, you know, December 25th, we worship some pagan god um, who gives us presents or something like that. that. And you set up some holiday, that would also be prohibited, right? And therefore, we wouldn't work. That would be similarly prohibited uh, of uh, this idea of Gaisha Shavas Kloloshal Davar, Osam Lechadesh Das. We don't allow Gentiles to come up to make up a new religion. To make up new commandments for themselves, you know, out of their own mind. That is, they just make up. Ella, you have some options. Oh, yeah, Gertzedek, be You can convert and keep the whole Torah. That's, you know, that's an option. Oh, Yama Bitoraso, or you can keep your own Torah, meaning the seven Noahide laws. Below Yosef, below Yigra. You can't add, you can't subtract. Now, some of you may notice that term. It follows the language in, in Sefer Dvarim, the book of Deuteronomy, where it says that Jews are not allowed to add on mitzvos and are not allowed to subtract mitzvos. You have your 613 mitzvos, take it or leave it, or more, more accurately, take it. Um, Gentiles have their seven mitzvos. So they have the option to, you know, to upgrade, so to speak, or, you know, I don't know if it's an upgrade or not, but to take on more mitzvot to do 613, or they can keep their seven, but you can't make up your own system. You can't be like, okay, seven mitzvot, but also I like Tuesdays, and we're going to make that a, a weekly holiday. You can't do that. 
You can't add on to the Torah. You can't subtract from the Torah. Um, the, so, so that's what the Ramah is prohibiting here. It's a different approach entirely. It's not that you're, it's not that by making Tuesday a holiday, you're somehow intervening, you're, you're interloping God's relationship with Israel. Not really, okay, because they'll do it and you do your thing. That's not the issue. And it's not that you're not working per se. Ramah doesn't really seem to care if, you, if you're a lazy person. Um, or you go on vacation once in a while and you don't work. That's not an issue. The issue is imasa uhula atzmo koshavis. If you make your own holiday, a weekly holiday, a you know a seasonal holiday, if you make up your own holiday, that's the problem. And because you're adding on to the Torah, the Torah says you have these seven Noahide laws. You can opt into the whole Torah. Those are your options. There's no option for making up your own system. Um, so it's really a different approach entirely. Let's continue here. Bim asak Torah. If you do study Torah, oh Shabbos, you keep Shabbos, oh davar or you come up with a new holiday, which the Ramah is basically the same point, right? You keep Shabbos by making up a holiday. They can, this person, you know, again, in a scenario where there's Jewish authority and they have punishments of this sort, uh, they would be uh, physically punished. So you tell this person, this is liable for death. You don't actually kill him. So this is the view I was referring to before, uh, the Ramah's view, which is authoritative here, that it's theoretically liable for the death penalty, but that's never actually imposed. Even in a scenario where, you know, the uh, you know in a Jewish society where they would have power, which is interesting that that's the case here, um, and yeah, and then just to for contrast purposes, he says Ben Noach Shavratzalasos Mitzvah Mishar Mitzvah Torah Kedil Kabbal Skar Gentile wants to keep an extra mitzvah of the six thirteen to get reward for it, right? Like bonus, you don't have to keep I don't know shatnas, but the Gentile says I want to keep shatnas, I feel like it. Yeah, we don't stop them from doing that. It's not so bad. They can keep extra mitzvahs and get some bonus points. It doesn't seem like he's too excited about it, but you're not making something up. Um, you can bring a carbon and it's accepted. You give tzedakah, it's accepted. There are all sorts of mitzvahs you can do. These, it sounds like, you know, and we have a whole process for them. Um, and then he talks about what you do with the tzedakah, we'll leave that on the side. But for the Ramah, we have an entirely different approach. Uh, the Ramam here, it's not about intervening between God and Israel. It's not about being lazy, you know, as opposed to working what you're supposed to do. It's specifically about making up your own religion. So uh, there's some interesting theories. Again, Hobartal has a theory about this one that, you know, it's, uh, it's similar to the Almohad approach, um, where, you know, they said, here's, here's what you have to do. If you want, you, know, you can become a Muslim. Um, you don't have that many options. And there's no real religious freedom. We sort of have a monopoly. You know, the, the government has a monopoly on on religious options that they tell the people you keep A or B, but that's it. You can't come up with your own thing. And maybe that's what's influencing him. I don't know. It might be that. Not, I'm not fully convinced by that, but it's an interesting, an interesting theory. Um, let's see, with our remaining time, let's let's just take a quick peek at the Beis HaBechira, the Me'iri, who's actually a student of the Rambam. He goes on and focuses for a while. He says there's this issue about coming up with their own holiday. The problem is, yom chag lishbos bo, Right? The problem is coming up with a holiday, Monday, Tuesday, whatever day of the week it is, to come up with a, you know, their own holiday, not, not from God, not from Torah, but their own holiday to rest on. That's the problem. Why? Why is that a problem? If a Gentile keeps Shabbos convincingly enough, all the Jews will be like, hey, look, you know, this fellow, uh, this person is keeping Shabbos. They must be Jewish. Let me emulate them in every way. And then, of course, this person isn't keeping the Torah because they're not, they're not Jewish. They're not even trying to keep the Torah. And people will learn all sorts of incorrect things. So the Me'iri sort of diverts the Ramam. It sounded like the Ramam was on principle. There's an issue with 
making up new religions. Judaism has a monopoly on what, the, you know, you, you tell the people, keep your Sheva Mitzvahs, keep 613. You can't make up new stuff. Um, that's what the Rambam sounds like he's saying as a principle. The Meiri says, well, we're not really worried about that. We're, we're worried it might lead to something bad, right? It's not prob problematic in itself. The only issue with a Gentile keeping Shabbos is the Jews will see them. They'll say, oh, this person's, you know, this person's very from, let me follow them in all other ways. And it turns out the person doesn't keep Allah at all. They just happen to keep Shabbos because, you know, on a whim, they keep Shabbos. So the Meiri sort of, uh, you know, even though he's a student of the Rambam, here he takes the Rambam and sort of undermines it or goes in a different direction. Uh, that was an interesting angle to take here as well. Just to step back and look at sort of the trajectory, possibly, these things are a little, a little bit reconstructed and may or may not be fully accurate, but at least one way of looking at the trajectory of the views here, and then we'll take questions, is, um, you know, there, uh, in Bayashani, in the Second Temple period, there were many people, many Gentiles who actually kept Shabbos, as the Tzukim and Yishayahu seemed to imply, and as we have other records of, and, you know, maybe that wasn't frowned upon by everyone, uh, you know, Hazal will certainly frown upon it, but maybe there, that at some point in history, that wasn't necessarily frowned upon. Then we have in the Tenaitic period, let's say the Midrashim that we saw, where because, uh, you know, whether because of this or, or just in, in a scenario where there were many Christians who were keeping Shabbos, but weren't circumcised, were sort of coming up with their own religion, then there was this very strong uh, approach saying, absolutely not, do not keep Shabbos. Uh, Shabbos is for the Jews, it's not for the Christians, and uh, you have no right to interlope. By the time you get to the Bavli, it seems like, as Rashi notes, Pshat in the Bavli is, it's not like that. It seems to be a machloka between the Bavli and those Midrashim. The Bavli, it's not about, it's not about uh, uh, having a set day of Shabbos and like competing with Judaism. It's the fact that you're not working Shabbos, you're resting. And it's not, it's not specifically idolaters or Christians. It's anyone, any Gentile who rests, you know, they're not fulfilling Yom They're not fulfilling the idea of working that's ex expected by the Torah. It's nothing to do with bris, covenant, or osi, a sign, or bein yubin Yisrael, between God and the Jewish people. Nothing to do with that. Just you're supposed to always work. And then the Rambam, and, that, and that's why it applies any day of the week, because it's not about making a holiday for yourself. The Rambam goes back to this idea of making it into a holiday, but not because it's competition with Judaism. He doesn't seem to be worried about that at all, but because of Baltosif, because a Gentile supposed to keep the seven Noahide laws, or, or they can convert and opt into more, um, but you can't pick and choose. You can't say, I'm going to add this one mitzvah. I'm going to come up with my own holiday. There's no right to do that uh, because Judaism, in, in, a, you know, in a scenario where Judaism sort of runs the society, Judaism has a monopoly on the options. You can do seven mitzvahs, no more, no less. You can do 613 if you convert, but you can't make up your own holidays. And that's what the Ramam seems to focus on, even as the Me'iri seems to back off of this principle against coming up with holidays. For the Me'iri, it's more just this technical worry that people will follow the actions of this Gentile, even though they shouldn't. But uh, we see here a really a wide range of views in understanding uh, in understanding this Gemara of uh, Goisha Shavas, uh, Goisha Shavas Chayv uh, Misa. And again, as we said, the Misa, the actual punishment doesn't really seem to apply, but at least in theory, it's a, uh, you know, it seems to be a severe, it's presented as a severe sin but with a wide range of, of reasons as to why that may be. Um, so happy to take some questions here. And um, uh, yeah, happy to take some questions. And either way, this was, uh, this was a nice, uh, I think a nice uh, travel through three different sugyas. We spent a lot of time inside, which is always nice. And uh, got to some larger theological questions as well uh, across, across the board here. I see there's uh, a question. 
Rambam rejects shituf for Gentiles. Um, I assume by shituf you mean the idea of, uh, well, shituf can mean a couple different things, but I assume you mean by shituf the idea of having a multiple Godhead um, and that being a problem or not being a problem. Um, yeah, I mean, it seems like most Rishonim believe that having a multiple Godhead, like, you know, you have the real God and you have a couple of uh, plus ones, um, that that would be idolatry. That would presumably be the Rambam's view as well, but I don't, I'm not sure how that ties in here. Alana, I don't know if you want to elaborate on your question. And, um, you know, if not, if not Alana, others are also welcome to, uh, to ask if they have other questions. I know we're, we're a bit over time. All right. Well, okay, Jake. Yeah. Is I mean maybe I uh, maybe Halbertal specifically talks about this, but is there any reason the Gemara, I mean, like the Rambam, you know, wanted to codify this because he was doing so in a very practical way, and the Midrash may have had an agenda against sort of proto-Christians, but is the like why is the Gemara preoccupied with this? It's not going to meet out this punishment in any way. Yes, you're asking from a historical perspective, why is the Gemara so concerned with this? I think, I, I don't I don't think Halberthal talks about it much there, but I think you might say it's, you have these Midrashim that talk about this prohibition. You can't, you're not going to ignore it. Um, you have to explain it. But that's why it's specifically explained the way the Gemara thinks about it. It's like, it doesn't seem like, what's this competition idea? That's not, that doesn't seem right. And that's what the Gemara says. Rish Lakish says, it must be because of the lack of work. So it's more like you have this tradition, you have this prohibition. How do you explain it? In the absence of a strong polemical context, uh, you know, it seems like less mistaber, so to speak. It seems less convincing to explain it uh, based on this idea of competition. And instead, Rich Lakish suggests that it's based on uh, the idea of just not working. Cool. Um, okay, um, more questions or comments in the chat. Um, okay, right, okay, so Alana's cl clarified her question. Meaning the, the issue of, of um, right, can, can a Gentile be part of an organized religion while keeping the Sheva Mitzvah? You keep the seven Noachai laws and you have these other mitzvot that you keep. Um, so it's not fully clear what the Ramah thinks about having other mitzvot in general. Um, he doesn't really spell that out explicitly. He does talk about Baltosif and Baltigra not adding or subtracting, but maybe he doesn't mean that in so specific of a sense. Um, certainly coming up with your own holidays would be a problem. So it would sound like the Ramah would say, if you're part, if you're part of it, you know, you're a Gentile, you keep the seven Noahide laws, that's great. But you also are part of an organized religion that has holidays on which you don't work. The Rambam would say that's a real problem. Um, so yeah, it does sound like the Rambam has a real problem there, even though others don't, right? This is the Rambam's, the Rambam's idea. Again, if you, idolatry is a problem according to everyone. But if you're, if you have this other religion that has nothing to do with idolatry, you worship single God, but you like make up your own holidays, that's what the Rambam's talking about. The Rambam thinks that's prohibited. Uh, and even Chayv Misa is severely prohibited, um, but uh, other, others would likely not say that. Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, federal holidays, that's an interesting question. I think federal holidays don't present themselves as religious, at least in, in, in the United States. Europe may be more complicated, right? It's where a lot of the federal holidays are sort of institutionalized Christianity. In the United States, federal holidays are, are almost by definition secular. Um, so yeah, but in any event, that would only be prohibited for Gentiles. That wouldn't prohibit, uh, I mean, there'd be other issues with a Jew keeping a, a, you know, a religious holiday, but it wouldn't be this one for the reason we discussed before that, you know, this Pasuk, even if it generally applies to all humanity, it, it only applies 
to Gentiles. But I guess, yeah, I guess if someone, uh, if a Gentile asked the Shiloh about following, taking off on federal holidays, that would be an interesting question. Um, I guess, uh, I'm sure someone wrote about it in some safer somewhere, but we're not, I don't know if we need to solve that problem here. Um, again, thank you everyone for the, for the comments. Any final questions? Uh, and if not, uh, thank you all for learning together this series and uh, looking forward to learning together in the future. And Maxine. Yeah, um, thank you so much, uh, Rabbi Zakir, and uh, thank you everyone for joining us. Again, I really do hope there is um, a next time. Uh, as you said at one point earlier, you know, there are so many kind of different directions we can go with this. And, you know, um, some of us did get a taste of that uh, last summer, and uh, it was really great to return to these Zakir again, some new things. Um, so yeah, looking forward to next time. Thank you so much.